0: Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those major places where you can find content. You can find Kyle and I. You can also connect with us on social media. We're the Longhorn Republic on Facebook. We're also Longhorn Pod on Twitter. And feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by a man who won't skimp on his intro. Kyle
1: Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? I'm feeling. I'm feeling not quite like a million bucks, nine hundred thousand or so. Coming, uh, coming over a cold myself. I know you were fighting one, but uh, maybe it's also a hangover from the football game we watched Saturday, Gerald. But uh, you know, I really just wanted to shout to the team, "You're killing me, Smalls." Uh, with the the Sandlot boys in attendance, uh, three
0: three of the eight cast members. Um, is it really a Sandlot reunion without Benny the Jet? Like, is it? Like, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it. It just something that. Like, I never see him at any of the reunions, and it makes me sad because a man renowned for playing fast characters in both the Sandlot and the Mighty Ducks, he should be there for everything.
1: I mean, that really should be what he's doing, the, the sports equivalent of Comic-Con, just make a career out of it. But I, I do have to, real quick aside, I was a catcher, I've said on this podcast many times, and obviously the Sandlot inspired the type of player I would be. I never quite was able to work in, you know, if I had a dog as ugly as you, I'd shave his butt and tell him to walk backwards. But um, I did have some pretty supreme trash talk, and seeing the uh, the kids grown up was... It hurts, Gerald. Yeah, we're, we're getting old, man. We are getting old,
0: and Saturday's game probably aged me at least 15 years as well, pushing me, Texas football, pushing me to an early grave. So the Texas Longhorns needed a walk-off shot from Cameron Dicker, the kicker, to come away with a 50-48 win over... The Kansas Jayhawks. There's a lot to unpack. Now you have to take some of that offensive production with a grain of salt because Kansas changed offensive coordinators in the middle of a bye week, so there's zero film on them. Uh, Carter Stanley. We'll talk about him look like a completely different player than he had in the previous five six weeks. A lot a lot was changed. But Kyle, I think we have to start with the defense. And the the funniest thing to think about as it sits right now is 2 years ago at the end of the season we were worried that Todd Orlando was going to get hired out <laughs> from underneath this staff as a uh, as a head coach somewhere and now looking at back to back worst seasons in school history i just it's it's laughable and again there's a lot of there's a lot of salt and caveats that you have to take with this but 596 yards not a good
1: look oh man like we need to kind of set up front the baseline for just how negative we're going to allow ourselves to be because we can spiral here a little bit this was this was terrible um i think you need to start with that yeah there's no tape on a on a guy who's never coached at the ncaa division one level sure he averaged 55 points a game at the naia level um six defenders injured sure there are caveats to be had um, while we while we start this, but I mean, uh, this this was like you know you're you're going to see uh, a band twenty years after their prime and they just play all the greatest hits. Texas defense played nothing but the hits, the uh, predictable six man blitzes that unbarking carnival uh, writer bitter white guy who's who's exclusively a basketball watcher um did an experiment where he watched 20 um plays and and before the play just based on the on the lineup checked to see um if he could pick if it were a blitz or not and on 89% of those he called them correctly and on 40% he called who was blitzing correctly so again let's just caveat that with he does not watch football and he was able to do that so any Coordinator worth their salt should be able to pick that up too. But they 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 had the predictable blitzes, including the deep safety blitzes. They tried to guess instead of just being the better team and playing fundamental football. Like you don't shouldn't have to guess um, to beat Kansas. Um, showing poor technique, inability to set the edge, and then I, I I'm I'm calling this the triple T right now or T um, cubed, the terrible Texas tackling the big T's uh reared their head again not quite as bad as OU but um still not perfect so oh Gerald where do you want to start with this 600 yards given up to the Kansas Jayhawks
0: I I think we have to start with um I think i to start with the rush defense cuz that's staring Texas in the yeah. teeth as it heads to TCU uh 259 yards on the ground buck 90 of those going to one, Puka Williams, uh, on twenty-five carries, two touchdowns. They bottled him up a bit late, but Puka is kind of a, a second and third quarter runner where he did does most of his damage. Uh, which is which is it's scary to see with uh, Darius Anderson coming down the pike, and and they're much different runners. But but Williams was able to find the edge, especially early on with Malcolm Roach out. And abuse that, which then opened things up for Carter Stanley late, and I just I I anticipated the pass defense struggling because that's that's just what this defense is. But the fact that they got abused on the ground by a by a Kansas team that is talent wise significantly less than they are is frustrating and terrifying heading in to the latter part of the season.
1: You know. We'll talk about injuries and who's coming back and what we think that looks like in the future. We had to play with the guys that were there, and again, we recruited all of these guys. We um, expect these guys to make plays. There was a couple guys, a um, couple players who made their debut. Of Of that bunch, um, the one that gave me the most hope for the rest of the season was probably Byron Vaughn. Um, Very much so. I, I, I don't, you know, I've been rooting for this kid just because uh, Mother Hustle is um, an all-time UT personality, so I've been excited him to be good um, and he kind of got his first start uh, he played well he played really well um, he gets after the ball um, he looked like he wanted to hit people I, I think after OU you just kind of say who's ready to play who's going to step up who's going to tackle people and I do think that he did that there's some some things that you know you assume there's coaching going on that they'll be coached up on um, but just that effort you can't Herman said in his pressure this week the one thing you can't coach for uh, is effort um, I thought I thought uh, Overshone when he was downhill showed ability to to make open field tackles on Pooker he probably would have had you know another 50 yards on top of that already egregious number um could have easily got 225 on us um and so you know credit to that uh, that's where it looks like Overshone for sure is best with a full head of steam just being a spear he had a couple issues in coverage including giving up a touchdown um but when he was tackling looked very good again in a start um I mean, I don't know how far down my list of pluses I can go um, before the skews overly optimistic. <laughs> Remember, there was 260 rushing yards, 190 of those from Puka, who admittedly, everyone knew. Les Miles even said when they asked him, what's the game plan? He said, get the ball to Puka a lot. Like, you knew what they were going to do, and, and and it shows that he's a, a very good player, um, that, that assuming everyone knew that, he still was able to, embarrassed the team even if you take out his big super monster 65 yard touchdown he averaged over five yards a carry and that was with bottling him up for losses you know probably i don't know probably five times so just anytime you didn't get him you know two yards deep he was getting seven yards basically is how you spell that out um which is not okay um and and then you know maybe it's because we were keying on that but even carter stanley looks like a uh you know looks like kyler murray you know look like uh (laughs) look like jalen hurts look like a a heisman contender quarterback it's like you know we've played three heisman hopefuls this year obviously joe burrow um i guess you know reluctantly jalen hurts and then carter stanley right oh wait no he's not in that conversation could have fooled me stanley's ability to get it done
0: i think on third down was a huge differentiator for texas one of the rare times where they are able to, where they lose the time of possession battle in the third down battle and are able to win. Uh, Kansas converted on 10 of their 19 third down conversions, uh, including a crazy, I think they were like seven of 10 in, uh, in quarters two and three, which is really where they made a lot of their money. They like twenty percent of their total offense came on third down, and a lot of that was Stanley just being able to stand in the pocket, in spite of Texas running very pre- predictable blitzes, or maybe because of Texas running very predictable blitzes. Uh, they were able to scheme for it and give Stanley a ton of time to stand in the pocket. Texas once again held without a sack. I'm pretty sure, right? No sacks on uh, on Saturday, if I recall correctly. Uh, Overshown uh, had a
1: sack. He had. Lose. Overshown had one sack. That's yeah. right.
0: That was that was their lone. Um, the missed fourth down in the third quarter that's right overshone sack was the only third down they missed in the third quarter uh, that was like a third and 16 so they were way behind the chains on that that's right yeah. Yeah. Um, but but still one sack against Kansas like this this in any any year when a team is playing up to its standard is a padger stats game sure. i i cannot go on record saying who but at a texas pro game i asked a player under Mac Brown. Do you guys really go out there and respect every team? And he laughed and said, nah, man, we play Kansas. And like, that's, (laughs) that's what this type of game means. It should be. And the defense was just not, not up to standard. They missed tackles. Once again, they were unable to get pressure on the defense or the, on the, on the Kansas offensive line and kind of uh, take advantage of the athleticism. And they really struggled. Now, because of that, the offense had to show out quite a bit, and Texas again had to make up for not or make up for the second. Time this year that the defense has showed up on the worst games of all time list. Uh, Sam Ellinger did what Sam Ellinger does uh, 31 to 44 for one yard shy of 400, 399 yards, four touchdowns, a weird interception where the linebacker kind of dropped back into zone and he didn't see him. He also added in 14 rushes for 91 yards. His turnover. His one interception was in the Kansas red zone, gave the ball back to Kansas, I think, at their 17-yard line, if I recall correctly, uh, and that turned into points, which is, which is just crazy to me to think that this offense, in a couple of spots, put the defense in really bad spots, uh, in spite of putting up 50 points, you can't, you can't look past that and the Jake Smith fumble as part of the reason why uh, Kansas was able to get something going offensively.
1: Yeah, if you if you take the turnovers on downs, that's that's you know four turnovers for Texas versus um, versus the one for Kansas, basically. So you know minus three in that department, and that's you know that's tough. Um, but you should imagine that you can weather that in this game. I mean, this this team right now, the way they played this week, and I don't hope this becomes the trend. Look like Sam and the other guys. Um, you know, it's 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 the. Elite player right now, singular um in, in everyone else um and he wasn't even perfect. I think he had two zone reads that were probably um, missed and then he threw the interception, but otherwise he was superhuman um he was um, superlative. Uh, even his his passing numbers look a little less because his receivers, including the best hands of all time, uh, Devin Duvernay, even had a uh, had a, a drop. May have been a little ahead of him. I'll give I'll give Duve the benefit of the doubt. Um, but you know his offensive line didn't help him. No one really helped him. That was evident by his 91 rushing yards, and it just seemed like a lot of times Sam had to had to run it to make the offense kind of get into that groove. it Would be third downs where they drop you know seven and Sam beat them with his feet but it seemed like him running was what got the offense going often and gave them that little bit of juice um you know it's 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 i don't know it's it's you should expect when we talk about in the beginning of the season when we preview an LSU or an OU we say hey these are the games that you don't save Sam anymore for he's going to have to bust it out and run a bunch you don't predict that for Kansas. You don't think that your star quarterback is going to have to take a bunch of licks because, A, they're pressuring him all day because the offensive line is missing blocks, and, B, he's got to use his feet to make something happen because, uh, you know, that's that's the, the most surefire offensive play we had in the playbook. And so, <sighs> kudos to Sam. You know, he he had a career uh, or a day of career milestones. He had passed the 600 career completion, mark the third UT quarterback to do that. And he passed both James Brown and major Applewhite. uh, now has close to 8,500 career yards, third place all time behind, obviously Vincent Colt. So, um, you have to give credit to him. And I think there's credit to be spread around since we jumped to the offensive side of the ball with some other guys as well. But I think it starts right there. Um, and you just have to say, if you, when is the last time Gerald that you felt in a one minute drill even the ball in the Texas offense's hand like well we can move down the field and we have this I feel pretty like confident you know I don't know probably since Colt McCoy if I felt good about that situation we were in at the end of the game.
0: Uh yeah, I think that's that's probably pretty fair. Um but uh, but I think the way the Texas offense played late, I was pretty confident uh, up until they trotted out there with eight seconds left. Uh, like that was, I was I, when, when, when they ran another play with eight seconds left, I was like, okay, this is how we lose. And maybe this puts Herman on the hot seat because a loss to Kansas and a dumb clock because that's the thing we, we forget to talk about sometimes with Mensa Tom is that sometimes his clock management is weird. And I think he, I think he's not as smart as he thinks he is in a lot of ways, which sounds awful to say about, I mean, whatever. But I think a lot of times he overthinks things. I think the fourth down attempt, and he talked about it on Monday in the press conference, like some of those like statistically are the right decision, but the way that your offense is playing at those times, maybe it's not the right choice. And so sometimes that's like you and I both work in, in like, regular fields and everybody talks about data, data decisions. And it's not the data that makes the decision. It's the data that informs the decision. And you have to use your, your actual reasoning and logical like like logic to take the data and say, okay, this is a 61% play. However, our offensive line has gotten beaten up for the last two weeks. Maybe we do punt here and not put, give Kansas a short field uh, when they're clearly playing well. And so some of that is, is on the coaches putting the team in bad spots. Um, but some of it's also, again, players got to execute, and you should be able to get two yards against Kansas. Uh, Keontae Ingram is, is part of, I think, not part of the reason why not, because he played really well. You know, 14 carries, 101 yards, and a touchdown. But, and I'm I'm trying not to be overly negative, but it feels like Keontae shows up against bad teams. Like, I feel like that's been his MO, where when when they need explosive Keontae on the ground, it's Roshan that shows up, but when Keontae is playing teams that he's way more talented than is when he shines, and and I'm not the guy who calls Keontae Ingram overrated. I just don't think Keontae is confident enough at this point in his career to trot it out there against the big boys, against OU. I'm interested to see what he does this week against TCU, but he played well and and was a spark for Texas in a couple of spots.
1: It's a British term, Gerald, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard it. It comes from my, my soccer fanaticism. Do you know the term flat track? bully? Yes, I do. Yeah, so that's that's right now what Keonta Ingram is looking like this season. He he beats up the, the minnows and, and, and fails to, to do the same in the big ones. I think that's a real good point. Um, but you do have to give him credit because he did it and that's what we've been asking from him, so now just keep doing it. Make that a habit. Um, I think the thing is, besides just the box score, the fantastic running game is, you know, the he showed why he is one on the depth chart with his pass blocking. I thought he was really, really, really good in that regard. Um, on Saturday, like the, the touchdown pass to Duvernay, I don't think, um, happens if he doesn't have, you know, a fantastic block blitz on the pick pickup. Yeah, so so you do have to give credit there, and I think that's where the biggest gap between he and, and Roshan right now is. Um, we've talked about that here, but so... Um those that running back intangible for sure is there but yeah like you said let's let's see it um continue um certainly Roshan Johnson himself um should be commended because he opened the game and set the tone um and looked really really good in the early parts of the game now getting to the receivers Gerald Sam threw a lot of touchdowns a lot of yards a lot of passes that means there's a lot to go around um we talked already about it, the bad part. Devayne had his first career drop, but otherwise, I thought he was fantastic. Eight catches for 110, two TDs. Just, just a fantastic game. Colin Johnson again looked, you know, like a like a game changer, um, uncoverable when they went to him. Um, eight catches for 86.
0: If they don't like spam colin johnson on a comeback route there is not a better receiver in the conference at running that comeback route because there's no gather he's just full speed for 10 yards playing on a foot and turn around and you cannot cover that like that if they don't spam that play for the rest of the year then i should be the offensive coordinator
1: it's it's fair um it it is a it it, some of these things seem just obvious and, and maybe this is out thinking this is you know, passing when you have eight seconds, this is this is getting too cutesy. This is sometimes, you know, you don't have to overthink it. Sometimes you just go up and you out-talent. You take advantage of your monsters and you, you know, you ride that to glory. Um, speaking of monsters, Brennan Eagles had a nice day. Six catches, 76 yards, and a touchdown. Wasn't
0: afraid he was going to drop one.
1: Uh, he did drop one. He did drop one. Um, I but he did not drop the touchdown, so he'd already gotten that out. I think he has an obligatory drop right now, um, similar to the Chris Boyd tax from last year. You know, you get you get that out of the way, and then you're good. Um, but uh, he got his fifth touchdown, and in this game with, with DuVernay getting two, he getting one, and Jake Smith also had a touchdown right in the early beginning, had a little oopty, uh, hit the brakes and let him fly right by to get into the end zone, um, and that makes them the first trio since 2007. To have five touchdowns each, and we still got a lot of football to play. So um, Sam doing a good job spreading the ball around, and I think Colin Johnson being injured uh, let a lot of guys step up, um, and that's exciting. I think the more weapons, the more depth, the more talent, the more chance it is, like you said, that Colin gets one-on-one matchups and gives him the uncoverable comeback route that gives him, you know, some of the jump balls one-on-one. So um, I'm I'm perfectly great with with how the Receivers played in total. I think there was moments, but I think in total, um, it was a plus unit.
0: One of the one of the marks when the Texas receivers play really well is how they transition from pass routes to blocking when Sam uh, is is scrambling. I think they did a really good job of that. But yeah. it's 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 crazy to me to think that. And again, I'm not, I'm not in the booth. I'm not in the backfield, but when you're starting outside receivers are a cumulative 13 feet tall, like you've got to take advantage of that mismatch because nobody in the conference has two guys that can match up with two, with a guy that's six, six and a guy that I think Eagles comes in at six, three. So like that is 12 foot, nine inches. They're three inches short of 13 feet tall. Like, you have to be able to take advantage of that. And granted, part of that in maybe last week was Texas's inability to get anything going on the ground. But when Keontae's playing well, you've got to be able to run a good play action. You've got to be able to get Sam. And I I want to see them install some more bootlegs
1: mm-hmm. this
0: week because of the, because of the protection issues. Yep. Uh, the offensive line gave up three sacks through seven games this year. Texas has 22 sacks. Kyle, how many games did it take them last year to get to 22 sacks? 10? 12. The entire regular season is how how long it took them to get to 22 sacks. So they've got to introduce some motion, especially with Sam Ellinger. You've got to be able to slide the pocket. It seems like teams have figured out that parker Braun is a bit of a liability in pass blocking and they're overloading his side and that's putting Shaq out of position and it's causing a lot of issues so when that happens you move the pocket you're able to run a play action bootleg sam out of there and create some motion across the field which get generally helps get people open and it does things like get brewer open for a uh a big gain should have been a touchdown, but he got walked, <laughs> but he's got tight end speed, right? He's not the receiving. I mean, he's kind of the all-around tight end, but he's not your typical receiving tight end that you see in this offense. And what something else I would love to see, even if you tip your hand, you need to flex him back into the backfield a little bit to help with some of this pass protection. Yeah. Go go 11 personnel and just keep him in uh, kind of in a wing position or do whatever to keep him available for pass pro uh, because you clearly aren't getting the job done with the six guys. So you need to be able to have him uh, as, as an option in, in pass protection.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I'll say this. I, I'm not going to give uh, Brewer any flack. He did get walked, but – He had a tackle on Sam's interception. He chased the guy down, showed tremendous hustle, and he should have recovered Jake Smith's fumble. I think it was kind of a bogus. He did recover Jake Smith's fumble. It was a bogus call, um, but he again showed the effort and the heart, um, which, you know, when we lost Beck, we said, how do you replace that? Obviously not the full leadership, um, but just that kind of, you know, what you know from the tight end where you're going to get some blocking, you're going to get past catching, um, you know, when you need it, you're going to get heart, you're going to get hustle. And I think uh, if Brewer is showing that, that's a really good sign, and you start to feel pretty good. Um, but I won't belabor that. But you you did talk about kind of the the pass pro, um, or just you know in general the protection the and lack I think, thereof. I think I I mean I'll say this: I think our best lineman this week was was actually Kerstetter, which he was maybe our worst or one of last week. Um, so good for him stepping up. I I watched the play, and I don't know if it you know was really commented. I, I was watching a bit delayed, so I fast-forwarded through a lot of the announcers. I just went play-by-play-by-play by play by play on my, my initial watch, and then the second watch, I never have the announcers on. Um, but uh, So I missed if they commented quite a bit on it, but uh, Cosme got rolled up pretty early, I think in the first quarter, um, where he, it was pretty nasty. He got, you know, the someone rolled right into the back of him where he was getting pushed, and he flopped back before going over. I, he played the whole rest of the game, but this was probably his worst game of the season. I mean, he was still better than, you know, the average player for sure, but he wasn't his stellar kind of NFL, oh, my gosh, you have to draft this guy's self. So I wonder if there was anything there. I haven't heard any mention of injury with it, or if he just was a little shook up after that.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure either. And I, and I, he wasn't in Herman's injury update on Monday, so I think it may have just been uh, him shaken up. So I, I I think the offensive line is probably a unit that I need to see a lot more of Uh, from uh, a lot more of as Texas continues. They've got uh, just a couple of games left to get it together, especially if they um, they struggle against TCU. And again, we'll talk about that during our preview on Thursday. But we do have to talk about, before we jump out of football, the special teams. Because the special teams is kind of the differentiator Mm -hmm. for Texas in this game. So Cameron Dicker... Nailed a 33-yard walk-off. If I was if I was confident about anything in this game, it was when that young man walked out on the field, like, and they called the timeout to ice him, and I was like, "Oh, now you're gonna poke the bear. He's going to kick this off of your forehead and through the uprights now." Like, so he nails a he hits a walk-off 33-yarder. Uh, that that is the everybody rags on college kickers, but. Cameron Dicker may already be an NFL kicker with the way that he conducts himself uh, as a as a special teams specialist, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this is nothing if not a kicking and punting podcast, so we're going to wax a bit poetic. But uh, yeah, just the 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 maturity. The I mean, we talked about it last year. Wow, Dicker, the kicker freshman, to be that good. He's he's shown improvement this year. Um, he's even better if he he sticks around for all four years, which is a funny thing to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's, he's ready for the next level. And when you look at the guys who've preceded him, he's clearly the next in line of the long and, and prestigious line of, of UT kickers. You know, we've talked a lot about Justin Tucker and Phil Dawson on this podcast, but there were multiple, um, very, very good kickers, uh, who went to the next level from, from UT. So I think he's all set up to be there. And I think kicking is, is as much in your leg as it is in your mind. And he's clearly got the mental aspect of it. The nice thing is Bushevsky only needed to punt once and it was a 55 yarder. or so um, turnovers on downs will help you not have to punt. Um, but if you're not punting, it's always a good thing. Take your wins where you can get them.
0: Absolutely. So speaking of wins where you can get them, Texas had a blocked field goal in the first half by Joseph Osai, who was one of the two or three guys that I really graded out highly in this game. Uh, The team couldn't recover the the block, and so they couldn't turn it into points. Uh, But that change in the second half, Malcolm Roach decided to make up for lost time and blocked an extra point which was the first since 2012, I believe. And Jameson returned it for two, which turned out to be the difference in the game.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, the return was so sweet. Jameson with like a, an inch of space is so fun. It's why he was a fun receiver last year. It's why he I keep waiting for him to get an interception with you know like field in front of him because he makes open field disappear real quick it's you're not going to catch him you saw it on the return against rice but um it was our first since a, a red river shootout actually in in 2012 was the last time we had a two-point return but 98 yards of Jamison is always fun how no matter how you get it in the moment it's like wow we're really celebrating two points hey guys that three-point swing was the game that was everything um Yeah, and and I didn't mention this in the defense, but I will bring it back just a moment because you talked about Osai. Um, You saw him blitzing a field goal, going after trying to make a play in the backfield on a field goal. It makes me wonder why he's not. I know he's our best defender and we have him doing other things, but blitzing uh, the passer, that was his primary talent when he was recruited in high school he was an elite pass rusher and we've kind of moved him out of that because he does a jack of all trades but you can equate how quickly a guy gets through a line and is able to get up and block um on uh, you know a field goal has some translation to how quickly you get through the line and take a quarterback down so let's see more osai in opponents backfield
0: absolutely And and i think we will continue to see a lot of joseph osai i think. As the year continues, I think, unfortunately, Jeff McCullough's injury has probably shown uh, that that the talent change is needed. So Texas now coming off of a narrow win over Kansas Heads to Funky Fort Worth to take on the TCU Horned Frogs. And we will bring you our preview on Thursday. You can check it out for all of your TCU needs.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com.
0: so it's not all doom and gloom on the 40 acres. And we're going to take you to the part of the show where we honor all of those sports that don't necessarily get the shine and are doing some big things. And we down the 40. So number four, volleyball continues to dominate the conference, uh, sweeping West Virginia to move to six and O in big 12 play freshman Asia O'Neill. You may remember that last name, eight kills, seven blocks, Skyler Fields, 13 kills, pace the horns. They've got a good, good young squad, and they've got a big matchup this week.
1: Oh yeah, you you may have heard here, guys. The uh, the number one team in the country is coming to Austin. Uh, the the Baylor Lady Volley Bears are are heading down. That was good. Thank you. Heading down I thirty uh, five on Wednesday. It is sold out. I believe they reserve some big ticket. Uh, seats for students so if you're a student listening to this i think if you get there about six hours early you should be good to get into this skip class Uh, gerald and i are long proponents of saying the single best fan experience at the university of texas is going to a big volleyball game really any volleyball game but a big packed volleyball game in gregory shouting point texas is the best atmosphere
0: hands down i had so much so much fun at all the sporting events i went to but Screen like volleyball games. If you're like if you're anywhere on campus, like if you're at Jester, it's like a 17 second walk. So like just just stink and go. Uh, So, yeah, they take on Baylor Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, You'll probably have to skip your afternoon classes if you've got the big ticket and you're trying to get in women's basketball. Already on the horizon. They tipped off, they're going to tip off, excuse me, next week for their first exhibition game against Lubbock Christian. We are still about three weeks out from their regular season opener against the Fighting Charlie Strongs of the University of South Florida. Uh, I'm just going to call them the Fighting Charlie Strongs whenever I see South Florida, but Texas hoping to uh, rebound from a, a little bit of a struggle year last year.
1: Rebound, that's nice. I like that. Um, <laughs> Gerald, do you know the, uh, the the Lubbock Christian lady mascots?
0: I want to say the She-Friars, but that's not a real thing.
1: <laughs> it needs to be. That's a very good guess. They are the Chaps, not the Pants, but the Chaparral. So, um, had to look that up, of course. I didn't even know that was a real school. But
0: Of course, Lubbock Christian is not the Chaps, and we'll leave it at that. Uh, soccer. Got a road win over the Baylor Bears, 2-1. to one. Uh, They are, in spite of their recent struggles, still within striking distance of a regular season
1: Big 12 championship. Yeah, just one point behind top 20 Oklahoma State, who they lost to uh, last week, or they could right now, if they, if they got everything together, could have been first in the Big 12. So even though they've, they've hurt a little bit, they are uh, the Big 12 kind of beating itself up, um, but they are right near the top. Uh, within striking distance and enough time to to see it out.
0: Absolutely, number eighteen, men's golf is currently in sixth place at the Tavistock Invitational after two days at the time of recording. Number two and number five men's and women's swimming and diving respectively open their season at home on Friday against Kentucky. Uh, Not a lot of naturally occurring water in Kentucky, but I'm sure they have a great natatorium there. And baseball opened their new facility, the J. Dan Brown Family Player Development Center. That's a mouthful. Uh, On Saturday as well, so a big day on 40 acres.
1: Charles, I'm just going to go back. For a second. The Kentucky Waterfall is an internationally known I mean it, it stands for a mullet, but they do have water. Actually, Kentucky's surprisingly beautiful. But yeah, baseball um opening up the uh new player development center. They also opened up some new pavilions um on each first and third base uh side. So it's very cool. It's actually our first athletics facility to be uh one hundred percent donor funded. So The big CDC just continues to be very good at his job.
0: Scared money don't make none. And and Chris Del Conte is both making and spending money. Now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha. And we bang the drum, brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week?
1: Well, this week I am banging the drum... I'm going to start it with a little story here. I was in New York when I was in college, my first time in the city. And so naturally I went to the New York sports hall of fame. I'm not sure why it was there, but one of the two things that I snuck my phone out to take a picture of, um, and uh, again, it was a no, no cameras left. Obviously the first was, Everyone would assume Brandy Chastain sports bra, um, which was on display uh, there. Um, <laughs> that
0: pops up in my Facebook memories every now and again.
1: And uh, and the other, I don't know if it was rotating on display or what, um, or uh, had had been put there for a specific reason, but uh, was was Ricky Williams 1998 Heisman trophy. So. Um, to give a little backstory about why I'm talking about that, this week, Ricky was, was in the news. Ricky Williams, if nothing, uh, is is known for, for setting records. Ricky Williams into the record books, but this time uh, for an entirely different reason. This is actually Ricky Williams' Heisman sold by someone else. He sold his trophy in 2014. That's actually the last winner that year after that was the, uh, the last time that you could sell it for a profit, um, but he did sell his Heisman uh, to someone named Brian Hobbs, and Brian Hobbs turned around this week and sold um, just over a half a million dollars, 504, uh, then 504, boys, $504,000 Ricky's Heisman uh, trophy went for this week, so um, no word exactly what they're doing it, someone must just have a uh, a pretty sweet Pretty uh, fantastic collection if they can just drop, you know, a uh, a half a mil to pick up the Ricky Heisman. But if you're ever in, in Florida and you know any rich people um, and you want to see Ricky's Heisman, I don't know, to recoup his money, maybe he's charging 5000 a pop to go see it. But uh, it actually broke the record from 1987 Tim Brown by seventy grand or so. Um, so, yeah, Ricky, setting records, uh, staying high. On all of the lists,
0: I bet 504 pennies, and I obviously got outbid, but at least I was in there. Uh, so I'm banging the drum this week on the 1969 throwback uniforms. And Texas played really, really poorly in them, so I really do feel like they themselves should probably be taken out back and burned. But they proved what I've been saying all year is that the Texas uniform probably needs to be a little simplified. And I'm not your get off my lawn lack of progress kind of person, but the the clutter on the front of the uniform has been a little frustrating for me to watch this year, uh, because I believe there are four patches in a probably 10-inch span on the front of a jersey, not including the numbers and the letters of Texas, and so I just I love when – when that's why I love the Texas Road uniforms. That's why I love seeing them in the icy whites because it's simple. It's clean. Uh, I am a pretty traditional guy when it comes to sports uniforms. I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, and I think they should wear their throwbacks every week. Like, I, I just – the the uniforms themselves look good even if the play inside them did not. But, again, I just really love seeing that clean look, the block letters. Like, it was just – it was just such a good look uh and then they actually kicked the football off
1: yeah look good play good doesn't always uh work out they definitely had the first part Sam Ellinger did the second part um no patches guys you see why it's awesome I actually like the socks too it was a good look all around the social media around it too they really continue to, to, to just reinforce that we have the best social media uh team in in the biz but just they're kind of like retro graphics and the 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 tones they put on the pictures and everything just uh they they took the uh they took the throwbacks you know it, it was 1969 again and it was nice
0: i love it and that's all we've got for you this week kyle where can the good folks find you on the internet
1: you can find me on twitter at kyle carpenter you can follow the texas pre-gamer on twitter at texas pre-gamer you
0: can follow me on twitter i am at gh gutter follow the show on twitter At Longhorn Pod and shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time,
1: hook 'em. Hook 'em. Stop taking Tom Herman's quotes out of context.